What's up, everybody out in listener land? I am Jake Wiskirchen. Thanks for rejoining us, or if you're joining us for the first time, thank you for joining us on the Noggin Notes podcast. This particular episode is about social and emotional learning. My guest is Jordan Wintermote from the Pershing County School District. That's where Lovelock, uh, the town of Lovelock, resides. It was in Pershing County in Nevada. It's in north central Nevada. It's about an hour and a half outside of Reno. And she does an excellent job of explaining the importance of integrating a social and emotional education component into our schools. But beyond the schools, I think that if you work with kids anywhere or if you have kids or if you used to be a kid and are now an adult like most of us and you just kind of don't understand the importance of social and emotional skill building, this podcast could probably help you and it'll also help you to teach it to other people. So in, in, so far as you learn your own skills, uh, you're able to communicate them to others as well. And then we all get better at our communication and our emotional functioning. And the world is a better place when that happens. So I invite you to budget appropriately for this because it's about an hour long and uh, kick back and relax and just kind of digest and absorb uh, what she's sharing with us. Um, also, on a different note, if you have not yet signed up for Patreon or Radio Public, you can listen to the podcast through there, and uh, so they tell me, we get a few cents uh, for every time somebody listens through one of those uh, avenues, and I don't really know how it works, but that's just what I'm told, and apparently there's no real investment on your part, so if you could do it through those uh, avenues, uh, we'll get a few bucks kicked our way at some point down the road, and I could take those few bucks and buy a second microphone so that I'm not eight inches away from my interviewee when I'm interviewing him. It's, it's uncomfortable for everyone when our noses are touching. Um, uh, it also uh, might be able to upgrade my software too, so I'm not just using the free stuff uh, from the internet, which is somewhat limited, but serves a pretty good function, I think, so far. So uh, Patreon or Radio Public, uh, get an account, I guess, and uh, and just start listening to us through there. Without further delay, I will uh, move on now, and you can listen to the conversation I have with Jordan Wintermote about social and emotional learning and its importance in our society, but chiefly in our educational systems. Thanks, as always. Enjoy. Welcome back, listening audience. Uh, we are doing a cool interview this week with Jordan Wintermote. Hello. Hi. You might want to scoot closer to the microphone. Okay. Can you hear uh, me now? Uh, we, yes, thank you, Verizon, um, guy with glasses who now works for Sprint. Uh, for those of you not in the United States, uh, that's a, an inside joke. It's not really inside. It's inside to 330 million Americans, I guess, who all have these uh, cell phone companies. But uh, for years, we saw this guy with one of the cell phone companies, Verizon, saying, uh, can you hear me now? And he was demonstrating how wide and broad the network is. Now he jumped companies and works for a rival company. And it's strange rebranding. I don't, I don't know. So anyway, yes, we can hear you, Jordan. Good. Thank you for letting me take that tangent that has nothing at all to do with social emotional learning. You're so welcome. Which is how we advertise this podcast. Um, so in Naga Notes, if you're new to the show, what we try to do is uh, introduce people, obviously, to psychological concepts uh, that, that help people understand things. But we also tackle much broader things, anything that has to do with wellness and uh, learning and insight and so forth. But a big component of that is education. And so a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had a couple of school counselors on from South Dakota. And this week, we have Jordan from the Pershing County School District, who is the social-emotional learning coordinator. And I can, I can probably almost, I mean, I can almost feel it coming through the microphone, even though this podcast hasn't even been released yet. There are people out there who roll their eyes at a title like that, and they go, social-emotional learning coordinator, what are my tax dollars paying for? And you're laughing because um, the title does sound a little ridiculous. You're like, I go to school. You know, my kids go to school to learn math and science and reading. They don't go there to learn how to, you know, be sociable and learn their emotions. And and actually, they should be, quite frankly. And and my take uh, across several of these podcasts has been that I, as a parent, I'm 40 years old, um, and then my parents who raised me are in their late 60s, early 70s. Um, we've got multiple generations of people who have never learned what emotional functioning is. And, and it, it, it never ceases to amaze me when I speak to a crowd about the 10 discrete emotions, how many people are just agape at learning 
something that is so basic. We just don't integrate it into our curriculum. And then we wonder why people can't deal with life. And it's because there's this very important neurological function that goes on in our brains that tells us what the environment is doing. And we never learn it. So yes, we absolutely need a social and emotional learning coordinator because somebody's got to coordinate the effort initially. Now, I imagine that in 20 years from now, we won't have a social emotional learning coordinator any more than we have a math coordinator. Now we have department chairs in larger schools like high schools, and maybe there will be one of those. But for now, we need somebody to spearhead this, and you happen to be that person. I am. And it is such an interesting title. Often people um, make it sound a lot more confusing than it actually is. But when parents or people that I work with come to me and they ask well, what do you do with that job? And it's really simple. I teach students social and emotional skills. So it really couldn't get any simpler than that. Packed in there, though, is the assumption that the teachers are not doing this. They need someone extra from the outside to do it. And, I mean, my very fledgling, rudimentary outsider's take on it is that that's just simply not something teachers are taught to know in school because it's a fairly new concept in our curriculum. So they need somebody from the outside to come in. But it also seems very inefficient for you to take on an entire school, or in this case, a school district full of students who all need to be taught this stuff, we, we would agree. And um, I'm wondering if there are efforts going on to teach the teachers. Absolutely. So um, in the title, it does have a coordinator, and that's exactly what I do. So not only do I go into schools and I teach these skills, um, but I also teach teachers and other staff members how to teach these skills and how we are going to um, fully immerse ourselves in social and emotional learning in the district. Um, it is a grant job, so it only comes with a specific amount of time. Um, and my job is to prepare teachers for at the end of that time, they will take over social and emotional learning. It is something that isn't taught to teachers really in college um, or any professional development in most states. But it is something that we're working towards. So then the baton will be handed to them eventually, and they will be awesome at it. You want to work yourself out of a job. I mean, exactly. the, the grant will end anyway, and your job will disappear. But before that happens, you want to have left a, an indelible mark such that the, 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 the baton will be carried by someone else, like you, like you said. Yes. Or did you say torch? Baton? B- baton. Torch? Torch. Well, torch is just a baton on fire. So, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of the same. So... Your job now is not only educating the students, but also educating the teachers. Tell us what some of that stuff is. You get you and I were talking before I flipped on the recording switch, and you mentioned emotional vocabulary. Explain. Okay, so um, really that starts with, like, professional development, staff trainings, um, going into staff meetings, and even going into other aspects like maybe behavior meetings or parent meetings um, and parent nights. And I teach... Um, everybody in those situations, what we can do to incorporate um, more nourishment for their kids in emotional and social education, because it's something that is all around us. It's so important, but it's not always um, fully grasped because even as adults, we don't feel comfortable with it. We aren't always aware of our skill level and we aren't always aware of um, how to teach those things. It's actually really Um, kind of a weird and uncomfortable topic to talk to kids and adults about. Um, So part of that is just teaching about emotional vocabulary and how we can get students saying um, more emotions and feelings beyond mad, sad, glad, and excited to make all of our lives easier. Yeah, I think the, the important part here is that you're talking about um, having a vocabulary, right? So you just you just threw a lot of um, broad concepts out, and I and I my ears heard them because I I've worked in that world for so long. But I'm wondering, like for our listeners, can you give some for instances, some examples of like what you're talking about when you you say people aren't aware of their own skill level? It's it's uncomfortable to, to discuss. Like what what is it? What is an example of how that might play out in the real world? Yeah. So. Um... As adults, um, when people ask how we are, we always typically say, I'm okay. Fine. I'm fine. Yeah. Okay. I'm right. fine. Okay. Yeah, I'm <laughs> yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, we usually say, I'm fine, or we say, I'm okay. And when things are wrong, we say, I'm upset. And upset is such an umbrella term that how can people actually help us when we say, I'm upset? Because that could mean mad. That could mean disappointed. That could mean scared. 
that could be anxious and ashamed. all of those ashamed, Embarrassed, guilty. Yeah. Yes. All of those um, branch off into their own routes of how to help people through those things. And so if we're not even aware that we do it, how can we help kids be aware that they do it? So insight building for the, for the uh, adults is important because then we, we would be able to teach the kids. And I love that you talked about how the, the blanket term of upset, that's actually one of the ones that I use when I talk about being specific and precise with, with one's own emotional language. So we, we have the 10 core emotions as uh, researched by Izzard. Upset is not one of them because it's a hybrid of emotion or it's a hybrid of emotion and thought. And so in order to validate somebody else, you have to know what they're feeling and be very specific and precise about that. And upset is just too broad. Um, I can go upset with you. You can go upset with me. But there's something lacking there when we say, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, yeah, you, me too, me too. Yeah, upset. And we just, it's, un, it's left unresolved because it's not precise enough. And so mm-hmm. your job is now, now to, to teach this to adults and kids. Mm-hmm. What curriculum are you operating from? Like where, where does this stem? Uh, if somebody wanted to find out more about where would they go, that kind of thing. So when I started at Pershing County School District, um, I thought really hard about this. And I decided that the first thing – I wasn't going to do was just throw a program into the schools that taught social and emotional skills and that was going to be it. Yeah, don't do that. Educators hate that. Yeah. <laughs> come yeah. Blow. They call that uh, a seagull managers where you come in, squawk, yeah. flap your arms, uh, crap all over everything and then fly away. Yes. Yeah. No, they don't like that. <laughs> and that just wasn't going to do the kids justice either because if the adults were teaching a program and they weren't... Um, strong or at least adequate in their social and emotional skills, nothing was ever going to get done. So we started with classroom-based practices and school-wide practices um, that would really support kids in their social and emotional skills, such as practicing self-regulation skills, um, practicing mindfulness, practicing um, like how to resolve conflict without immediate punishment, and so we really started with all these school-wide and classroom practices to get students learning the basic skills, but also to get teachers learning, but also aware of uh, maybe how their classroom practices fit or don't fit into, you know, healthy and positive social and emotional skills. What are some of the, before we go too far off, I, I, I always want to pause and explain uh, both you know acronyms and lingo that we use. So some educational lingo you threw out there without probably even knowing is classroom based and school wide. And um, so um, maybe you could explain those, and then also explain what classroom practices are and how they might not fit what you're describing there. So what's what's school versus classroom? Because in the in the head of a, an average user, I'm guessing that they go, well, wouldn't they all be doing the same thing? Of so course, how's one's different yeah. from the next. So. Um... Classroom-based practices would be what we are rolling out in individual classrooms because some um, strategies and tools that we would try to do in a school-wide setting wouldn't quite work. It has to be in a more personal setting, um, which is a very personal is a loose term for a classroom with 25 kids in it. But school-wide settings would be more of like expectations set and um, rules and then how we are going to follow up on rules at an admin level or when students are coming into the office or to the nurse. Um, And then with classroom practices with teachers, that is their pedagogy. That's how they teach. That's how they um, talk to kids every day. That's how they relate to kids. That's the information that they are pushing out to kids. And that's unique in every classroom. Well, it's unique to the teacher, right? Yes. And it really actually comes from the teacher's personality and the teacher's experiences and the teacher's educations because we all get a different one and we all come from from different backgrounds. So all three of those things had to be closely examined and then tried to um, fold into healthy practices and and take a look at maybe some of the things that we're doing when we're not happy with our students or we are having a stressful day as teachers. Um, How we handle that. Is it building skills or is it just punishing students right away right and i think that this is what you're starting to dance around here is something that's really quite revolutionary based on what most people probably understand as education in america which is very 
unidirectional. You know, there's this teacher who holds all the knowledge and dispenses it into the empty waiting vessel of the student. And along the way, you're supposed to sit down, shut up, be still, um, do as you're told. And that's just not just, that's just not effective anymore. Um, I would argue maybe that it wasn't ever, but um, but especially these days when children and adults are surrounded by constant stimulation, what it's done is it's it's pushed us into an impatience almost where we have to be bouncing and moving and doing something all the time. We can't just sit still. And when they're not practicing it at home, because they're not, um, and our our testing at school has gotten so heavy that. Uh, there's very little time to recess. Uh, we're eliminating physical education. We're dropping sports. We're eliminating creative endeavors. So there's fewer and fewer opportunities for these kids to get out their creative energy, get out their physical energy. Um, the old way simply doesn't work. So we need a new way of, you know, when the kid gets up and wanders around because he can't sit still instead of punishing him. I, I love that you use that word because it's a word that I actually hate uh, uh, because punishment uh, just doesn't work and that's a topic for another day but instead of punishing the kid what can we do to take what that kid probably has as a plus such as you know his nervous energy that could be channeled into something productive he still needs to get through math but let's try to reach out to him and and do something creative and different and that inherently what I'm hearing you say is is incumbent upon the teachers to evaluate themselves in order to get through and not look at them through the old lens yeah. So they got they got to look at themselves. They got to they got to grow, and and then this vocabulary that you're talking about would would I guess be implemented in that moment. You know, you'd say something like, "Hey, it looks like you're nervous," or "Hey, it looks like you're uh, excited," rather than "Johnny, get in your seat." One hundred percent. Yeah. So um, we are seeing these huge trends in education where teachers um, are looking at their classrooms and looking at their curriculum, looking at the way they teach. And they have to evaluate and ask, am I doing it this way for the students or am I doing it this way to make it easier on me? Mm. And if it's easier on the teachers, then chances are it probably isn't easier on the students. And that's where we get the sit down, shut up, listen, hold still for eight hours straight with two 10-minute recesses and never break any rules. And that's just not fair to kids. That's No kid is ever going to thrive in that situation Um, And so we see these trends like flexible seating where kids who have all this energy maybe don't have to sit in one chair all day long and they can move spots and they can choose seating arrangements that let them bounce or let their legs wiggle. And we see positive reinforcements and we see um, corners of classrooms where kids can go to calm down, where they can self-regulate instead of having a blow up in the middle of class because of one small thing that sent them over the edge. And we're really taking a look at how we talk to students. Are we talking to students um, like we are above them? Or are we talking to students like we care about them and we are there to help them and we we are there to support them? And we have to really take a close look at that. And that's where we started with social and emotional learning. I love it. And, and as, as you're saying this, I can imagine in my head some people who want to cling to yesteryear getting this very visceral defensive response saying you know kids should learn to you know be obedient and obey authority and and sit in their seats and 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 i i guess that probably is because the reason they're having that reaction is probably because that was what they experienced and so they're seeing it through that lens which is fine and it's also because it's been that way for so long that it's not just in schools that that was occurring. That was in the corporate world where education begat this very conscripted, uniformed, factory-oriented model of education. And then uh, children graduated. They went to uh, a little bit more unique education perhaps in college, or they didn't, but then they ended up in a corporate environment where there was a very hierarchical power structure. And then I think what started to tilt all that on its ear was the dot-com era, where uh, we had places like Google and Yahoo erupting and doing these creative learning environments at their corporate offices. And so that was it was a fun atmosphere, and it turns out they were super productive, and they uh, made millions of dollars, and they created products that changed everything. And now what we're saying is, well, you know what? That that old way probably worked in the old way, and it's not working anymore. And we have some evidence outside of the school setting, the educational setting, that says if we let people just be who they be, 
then we're going to be we're all going to benefit. Um, I guess counterbalancing this is that you got federal standards now, and you got to like make kids take tests in order to guarantee funding. And this methodology may not play out in a in a proficiency exam. And are we? Are you seeing that? Like they're pushed back from teachers. Like I can't let my kid just bounce around. He's got to learn his times tables. Um, yeah. So we do have some pushback in that sense, um, but we always remind teachers that being able to sit and being able to listen are also skills. We can't just expect kids to have them. They are not innate. They are not natural. We have to teach them, and that um, also comes from social and emotional skills. But I feel like most of the pushback that maybe I get or I don't get and I've seen or heard from talking to other people is it's just uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to completely change your classroom. Can cha- you can change where kids sit, change the way you teach them, and change the way you talk to them. And we had a conversation, the two of us, earlier this week about there is comfort in being where you're at, even if where you're at is horrible. And somebody like me, a social and emotional learning coordinator, can come around and tell you that on the other side, with just a couple different changes and teaching your kids new things and a little bit of your time being taken up, you can have better classroom management. You can have less behavior problems. You can have so much more learning going on and you can have better relationships with your kids. But some teachers don't want to do that. They right. are so comfortable right. where they're at. Right, totally. And yes. and I see that in families that I treat. Mm-hmm. And and all that you're talking about there, that the we'll call it a homeostasis. That's a that's a pattern that that somebody is in, and they're used to it, and they're comfortable with it. That that homeostasis is very hard to change because it's predictable, and it's familiar, and it's comfortable, even if it's not working. Mm-hmm. So how do you get them out? Um. So this is how I did it, which is a little bit different. Because working in Pershing, we have four schools. Mm-hmm. Um, we we aren't large in numbers. So I was able to do this. Um, and I've seen it work for also people in bigger districts when they have bigger teams besides just one person. Um, I pushed into classrooms. I went into classrooms for 30 minutes a week, even though that was not built into my job. I decided that I can't just ask teachers to do this. I can't tell them that they have to do it because who am I? to say that. So I set up times for them to come into their classroom for 30 minutes a week and I created lessons and I did activities like um, morning circles and self-regulation practice. M-O-U-R-I? Like they're sad? (laughs) No, morning like... um, Good morning. Good morning. (laughs) What do you do in a morning circle? This is (laughs) fascinates me. They are amazing. Um, Now that I know that they're not sobbing. (laughs) I guess you could have it either way, but um, in a morning circle, (laughs) kids come together and they sit in a circle, which is such a powerful shape. Um, Everybody is equally close or apart from everybody else. Um, Nobody's left out. Everybody's facing each other. It just brings everyone together. And you just talk about different things. There's no um, right or wrong way to do it. You can buy uh, curriculums for it. You can make up your own. You can just let it come naturally with your kids. And you talk about different things. Maybe it's skill building. Maybe it's how their weekend went. Um, You find out new things about each other. But all these kids are learning together. And that in itself is a skill that's found in social emotional learning. um, Communication and being self-aware and being socially aware. So sometimes you do get heavy things brought into the circle that you weren't expecting because you can never expect those things as a teacher like a grandparent died or a pet died, or something traumatic happened, or um, kids just bring heavy things because they need somewhere to tell it to, and what a better place than in front of 24 other kids that it might traumatize them also. But, and a lot of teachers were scared about that, like what these questions might bring up, but it's always worked out great um, because kids learn how to help others. You know, when they notice that somebody's sad, they learn how to help them, and you bring that up naturally in the conversation. Johnny's feeling sad because his grandpa just died. Has anybody ever felt this way? Um, Can anybody help him? Can we come up with an idea of how we can make him feel better today or maybe something that we can write to his family? Um, And you just have these natural conversations, and one really important part of it is if you do it every morning, 
kids know that every morning they're going to come to school, they're going to join a circle, they're going to have a place to talk and communicate and be friends, and they're not going to be worried every morning about what's school going to start like today? How is my day going to start or how is my day going to end? They know they have that place to begin every day in a good way. So beyond the fuzzy, because it feels fuzzy and warm and, and welcoming, it is. Yeah. it's it's practical because mm-hmm. um, as anybody who's listened to this podcast for any length of time would know, the only way we connect as human beings is through emotion. We can't connect through experience because we all experience things differently. We, we don't emote differently, though. Uh, an emotion in you is the same as it is in me. And so you're creating human connectivity. But even if mm-hmm. that's fuzzy for you, the you know too fuzzy and doesn't deserve your tax dollars, for example, the practicality is that if a child doesn't have to carry around the weight of a loss of a pet or a relative and they can share it, now what you've taught them is how to process that emotion. Mm-hmm. And we get less mental health issues if we're processing emotion appropriately. And what this has done is it's given an environment for that. And the circle in and of itself, I love how you said that. It's like everybody's equal around a circle. Like you're all sitting there and, and there, there's no hierarchy. And in case that there's somebody listening who thinks that's a new thing, it's not. Um, that So goes the legend that King Arthur did that with his knights at the round table so that everyone was equal. There was no better knight. Um, they all had equal footing. Circles have been around for thousands and thousands of years, and they are powerful. And I love that the predictability of the the morning starting that way too. So um, it becomes almost this intrinsic safe space and something that Persian County is doing. And this is a little bit of a, I'm going to bird walk this a little bit that other districts are starting to get hip to, but I just think Pershing's doing it so much better is they've built in an infrastructure for identifying kids who are really, really struggling. So if they're struggling way beyond whatever that circle did in the morning, um, they're immediately identified and given more help, whether that's in the form of a check-in, check-out with a trusted professional or teacher at school, or if it's um, regular trips to see somebody like you or one of your partners, uh, Sarah is her name, um, or Shauna, or if they actually need a referral out for services in the community, whether it be a health issue or mental health issue or just... um, you know, some, some sort of support, yeah, academic support, uh, neurological functioning, like it doesn't matter. But the point is you're making that contact every morning and you're giving kids a chance to, to digest and process and be there for each other. And it creates community and it creates uh, bonding and it creates uh, digestion and, and all sorts of things. It's, it's really, really wonderful. I love that that was going on. I had no idea. And now that I know that you're not necessarily always uh, in mourning around the morning circle, uh, that makes me a little more comfortable. I think that's why I use so many examples of death in that is because I had that morning, morning yeah, in my yeah. mind. But um, even if you are doing academic things in the morning circle, you're doing it together. Right. Um, you're learning skills all together. Um, sometimes we even play games in our circle. and But it also gives a really good point for teachers to observe. So if they're observing that one child has been really anxious or really sad or doesn't yeah, want to join engaged, the circle. But, but one kid's mm-hmm. playing with his shoelaces. Yeah. Then they can take that to the school counselor. And that in itself is um, data in a form that's showing something is making this kid not okay during morning circle. And he doesn't want to talk to us. He doesn't want to talk to me. Or um, she just feels so unsafe in circle. How can we support her? How can we all come together and check and see what's going on academically, socially, emotionally, behaviorally? or with the family, you know, it gives a really good starting point for all of these things. It does. And from my perspective as a clinician, it gives me an, a little window into their lack of emotional intelligence or their lack, I won't say intelligence because it, in our ears, it sounds like you're not dumb, you're not smart or you're dumb or something. But emotional intelligence could also say, yeah, could just say um, emotional awareness. Um, mm-hmm. So if, if you're not able to appropriately digest and tolerate your own emotions that'll come out in something like a a morning circle Mm -hmm. uh or that would otherwise get overlooked if the academic were purely i'm sorry if the environment were purely academic Mm -hmm. so if you just go in you're like all right uh, 9 a.m it's math time because uh, math goes in the morning because we've got studies that say that you learn math best in the mornings (laughs) um i know this (laughs) and then you may you may miss that that Mm -hmm. you know the kid's uh distracted because she's not eating or whatever Mm -hmm. Um, but that will come out in a community setting with other peers. Exactly. So for anybody who might be listening to this and as a teacher or works with kids, um, 
morning meetings or morning circle or afternoon circle, anytime, it's a really great place to start with kids with skill building. Businesses do it. Um, Team observing. meetings. Yes. Yeah. So it's a great place to start. And some of the other things that I did when I was pushing into classrooms was we worked a lot on um, identifying emotions within ourselves and in others. So um, how to be self-aware of our emotions, what different emotions feel like in our body because they are so different and it's a really good indicating starting point for kids and how we can tell what emotions look like in other people. And then from that, we built on to self-regulation. And I focus on self-regulation a lot because I think it's something that's really sticking with our kids. They really needed at the time when I started this. They didn't know how to calm themselves down and they weren't really aware of the fact that they're in control of their body. Their peers aren't in control. Their teacher isn't in control. They have to be the ones in control of how they feel and their bodies. Um, And then we touch on other things like how to have healthy relationships and how to make healthy decisions and how just, you know, empathy. That's a big one. Empathy is a huge one that we are working on also. Empathy, by the way, is different from sympathy in that empathy is you feel as someone else feels and sympathy is feeling sorry for someone. And that's not useful because nobody needs your pity. Uh, they do need to feel like they're understood, and the way you do that is to empathize. You, you identify with what they're feeling. The way you do that is you take a guess, and you guess based on body English. And if you, if you know what your body does when you feel something or your face or whatever, then you see that in someone else. You can make a reasonable stab at what they're feeling. You're like, oh, you look sad. I am sad. Thank you. And then, boom, there's that connectivity. Mm-hmm. And immediately what we know from research is when we validate emotion it takes people out of that limbic state and returns them to reason and then we can start moving toward a solution because you can't get there if your frontal lobe is not working and you're Mm -hmm. in full limbic state so that's awesome i love the empathy yeah and it um is really awesome to see when it's working because that's honestly where the magic happens all the pillars of social and emotional learning which is self-awareness social awareness self-regulation Um, good decision making and relationship skills they all come together when kids show empathy because they have to be self-aware of what emotions look like in them they use that to be socially aware and recognize emotions in others and based on um, how they think other people are feeling it it impacts their decisions Mm -hmm. they want to make better decisions they want to be kinder they want to be more helpful um, which builds healthier relationships so they all just come together and it ties a bow on it. And it's really awesome to see them all work together. Well, and it's the practicing ground too, right? Yes. And, you're, and you're only going to get good if you practice it. So in practice, what they're learning is to be aware of other people. And when you're aware of other people, it gives you less time to fixate on your own stuff. Mm-hmm. So it avoids a lot of psychological distress. If I can spend my time uh, helping others, I have less time to woe is me because mm-hmm. I'm just not focused on it. You can't be in two opposite psychological states at the same time. You can't be other-focused and self-focused simultaneously. You can go back and forth, and we would recommend that. Um, but people who are hyper-focused on themselves tend to tend to have some problems. And then, of course, people who are hyper-focused on others and don't take care of themselves also have problems. Exactly. Um, you Which is yeah, go ahead. Um, a really good lesson for teachers mm-hmm. in SEL. Teachers give their lives to their career. I mean, they do. They oftentimes do. so much goes on the back burner. Their families go on the back burner. Their self-care goes on the back burner because you are trying to give kids all of these skills. You're giving them academic skills and then you're trying to incorporate social and emotional learning skills. And then before you know it, like all of your time is gone and you're still left at home at night thinking about all the kids you're so worried about. Yep. And, and these days we've got ever increasing statistical indicators that show those structures are failing in the broader community. Things like involvement in congregation and church communities, the family system, the nuclear unit itself, uh, participation in team sports and activities, uh, consistently I should say, um, those things are starting to splinter. And what's happening is, is these symptom presentations are occurring in the classrooms. And so it's actually asking more and more of teachers. I came from a family Mm -hmm. of teachers and my mother being one of them for 36 years in the Washington County School District, she, um, she absolutely was frazzled. Now, I mean, I look back on it and she worked in a lot of really heavy classroom settings with uh, a lot of broken homes. And she, I mean, 
use a Southern term, bless her heart. Um, but truly, like, God bless her heart for trying to help those kids stuff a gap that was not being adequately filled where it should have been, which is at home or in the broader community. I mean, everybody mocked Hillary Clinton for saying it takes a village to raise a child, but it, it does. And it, it takes parents, but it also does take a village. It doesn't take one teacher standing in for the parents. That's, that's ludicrous, and we're burning teachers out. So I love that you... You know, with the social emotional learning component, is we're we're teaching people to help themselves. It's mm-hmm. not it's not a reliance upon, and that's why I kicked it off. Is like, what happens when you leave? <laughs> like, I hope yeah. you're teaching the teachers, and, <laughs> and you are, and 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 along with that comes a non attachment piece that says, here I'm going to offer this to you, and hopefully it sticks, but I'm not going to wear your pain either, uh, which is a new evolution for educators, mm-hmm. I think also. Previously, they they probably did just take that home a little too frequently. Every day, yeah. Um. This has implication for parenting, too, obviously. So if I wanted to teach my kids some social and emotional learning stuff, uh, well, that's redundant. (laughs) If I wanted to teach my kids social and emotional skills or Mm -hmm. make them learn, uh, (laughs) how might I go about doing it? Pretend I'm not in this profession. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There is so many awesome different ways. So um, one way that I actually just spoke on at a parent night this week was reading with your kid. So part of what... Um, Jake and I talked about we wanted to discuss was academic vocabularies versus... Thank you for reminding me because I forgot. Emotional <laughs> yeah. vocabularies. Um, and this really kind of kills two birds with one stone. When we are reading with our kids, um, and studies show that you should read with your child every night because then by age, I don't know, six, they've read so many hundreds of thousands of words. Um, and it builds that vocabularies. But you also have the perfect in to focus on social and emotional skills and focus on emotional vocabularies because 90% of children's books probably have some sort of social and emotional um, competency found within it or multiple competencies because they always have a storyline about friendship or about emotions, calming ourselves down. Somebody's crying, somebody's stuck, somebody's, yeah, right? Yes, exactly. And so as adults and kids we tend to kind of like skip over those words and the strategies that characters and books use because either um we've worked on them so much that we forget that we have to teach kids them or we feel so uncomfortable or have a lack of those skills that we don't really recognize it in books and so when we take the time to stop in a book and even though we are still working on academic vocabularies um, academic plots themes, all those things, if we take the time to stop and ask questions and notice that the emotions that characters show in books and notice how we could tell what emotion the characters in the books were showing based on faces in picture books or descriptions used by the author. Um, And then we build off of those. So they're learning numerous different ways to describe emotions. But then typically they often name ways that they tamed those emotions. They regulated them. They rebuilt their friendships they made healthy decisions even though they had lots of different choices Um, and when we stop and ask those questions like what other choices did this character have or how do you know that they felt this emotion how could you tell or what if they were feeling numerous emotions have you ever felt this emotion if you were in this situation what would you do if you and your friends got in a fight like this how could you make it right then we are building those social emotional skills we are finding um, the SEL components in the books We are teaching our kids them, and then we're also modeling them when we help relate it to students or relate it to our lives. Um, And I might say students a lot because that's what I'm so used to, but students, children. um, But when we relate it to ourselves, that's where the kids learn from it because they can say, oh, I've had these fights with my friends or I felt this emotion when this happened and I recognized it because my stomach felt like this or my hands felt like this and then they start to recognize it in the world around them. If you're a parent listening to this and you're suddenly overwhelmed or you think you're under-equipped, I will tell you that you're not. You already know this stuff and you're already practicing it. You're just probably not aware that you're doing it. So my invitation is while you're reading to your kids, don't just blow through the book to get the book done, but pause and look at the pictures the way your kid's looking at the pictures, especially if you have young ones like mine three and one presently um look at the pictures and look at the faces in those pictures and ask your kid what you think what the kid thinks they're feeling so uh berenstain bear is a good one there's lots of emotional expression there there's always a lesson um even curious george 
um, he's he's always getting into mischief, right? And uh, you could point out, what do you think George is feeling? What do you think the man in the hat feels? What do you think the baker who is kicking George out of the, the donut shop <laughs> feels? And, and your kids will have an answer. They'll take a reasonable guess. Don't think that you have to have this stuff mastered or that you have to have yourself mastered. I certainly don't. And I do this for a living. That's why they call it a practice. I'm continuing to practice. So don't think that you have to be on top of the world, that you have to have some fancy education to do it. You can just start doing it. And if you don't have books or you're not good at reading or that's awkward and clunky for you, do it with movies. Mm-hmm. And I, I assign movies as homework to my clients all the time who are stuck emotionally. And I assign Disney movies specifically because they run the gamut of emotions and there's usually uh, animal characters in there that kind of take it out of the realm of humanity so it's easier to identify with fish in Finding Nemo and if you're a parent that opening scene is heart-wrenching if you let it be if you let yourself really soak in there and be like you know what do you think Nemo's dad is feeling when the barracuda comes and you know eats all his eggs and his wife Uh, sorry (laughs) spoiler alert the 15 year old movie um then uh you can pause and go and ask what do you think nemo's dad is feeling right there and then immediately he finds the one little egg f what do you think he's feeling there and then you see that that i don't want to call it neurosis that's a freudian term but that that anxiety that protectionism throughout the movie like this is my one kid like i only Mm -hmm. have one left and he won't let him go out and all that stuff like what's he feeling there well he's feeling nervous he's feeling scared so you know this stuff parents if you're listening you already know this stuff now all you got to do is communicate it to your kids and it's okay they probably watched the same movie 15 times if your kids are like mine Next time they watch it, don't don't argue. Just you know, that movie again. Yeah, put that movie on again. But sit with them and grab the remote and pause it and and look at them and say, what do you think they're feeling? What do you think they're feeling? And just drill it into them, and that and then you'll both develop it, which is really super cool. And you'll get to bond with your kid. Yes. What better? You know, Perfect. don't just turn on the screen and you know let them uh, veg out, but actually make an a, an educational lesson. Perfect. And. Yeah, it's everywhere around us. And then kids will recognize it. And it is amazing. Um, there is lots of other places for parents to find, like, if they feel like they need, they need more help. Um, parenttoolkit.com is a really awesome website where parents can go and just find lots of different things, whether it's social and emotional or academic, just ways um, to make more health or healthier and safer and happier kids. Um, And some parents really struggle with, like, certain components. So my kid is very socially unaware. And honestly, just Google it. I mean, social awareness in kids' activities or how to teach kids social awareness. And there's so many activities and so many lessons and so many... And there's a podcast called Noggin Notes (laughs) that talks about emotions. I mean, one by one through a series of of podcasts. I mean, and the host is spectacular and humble. (laughs) Don't like me like that. Um, <laughs> and you can track your kids' emotions you in can. the app. You can. Yes. You can. Thank you for the plug. I, you're welcome. I wasn't even thinking that. I was just thinking <laughs> self-promotion, shamelessly. Uh, but yeah, you're right. No, so that's. thank you for bringing that up because mm-hmm. I'm actually having a revelation in my head now. Um, I never thought of the app as an emotional tracker for someone else. Mm-hmm. But that is brilliant. Thank you, Jordan. Just I knew there was a reason I brought you in here other than just to fill time. Um, you are so welcome. <laughs> no, that, but but seriously, download the Noggin Notes app, and if you got young kids, just track their emotions. Like, mm-hmm. you know, my kid Elijah, he's three, you know, like, uh, he's sad, he's mad. And I, if I'm logging mm-hmm. these, I can track my own timeline. But thank you for bringing that up. That's awesome. You're welcome. Um, but I kind of lost my train uh, of thought Resources. 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 Um, Parenttoolkit.com. Yes. I heard that. And then Googling just um, very specific parts of social or emotional skills that your kids may be struggling in. And one interesting thing about this is I hear from parents all the time. I Google it. I find the lessons. They look good. But I feel like my kid already knows these things. And we always have to remember it's not natural. These are all skills. And skills need to be practiced. And even though... We might feel like kids already might know it because we already know it. There's a good chance they probably don't. Or this is going to tell them it in a different way. A new shiny way, a new game, a new activity. So never underestimate just because you might think that kids probably already know this. Or they already have these skills. Just teach it anyways. It can never be perfected. um, And you can never do it enough. Put another way. Because I wrestled with this early on in my career for a long time. Many months. Maybe even years. The idea of skills, 
and skills that need to be built. So let's take this out of the realm of psychology and, and neurology and put it in something practical. Walking is a skill that is taught. You do teach your kids how to walk. They don't just figure it out on their own. They do observe, they try, they, they, but eventually we're there holding their hand, leading them, guiding them, making them upright. Now, once they get to walking, they'll walk everywhere. Then they'll start to run, and then they're hard to catch. And <laughs> that point aside, they... They know how to walk, and we can become very lazy in our presumption that they know how to walk well. Let me let me explain. Anybody who's ever been in marching band, and that may be a very small sliver of the audience, so I'll use another example next, knows that there's a difference between walking and marching. In marching, in order to play the instrument without bouncing the notes all over the place, you have to be steady, and you have to do something called roll your feet. And what you're doing is you're rocking from heel to toe in a very slow, smooth, rolling fashion. Now, it's very challenging at first, and then eventually you get better at it, and you get faster just like anything else you practice. That's a different kind of walking. A different kind of running is sprinting. And there are techniques to sprinting. And those, and the, and so marching band marching and running, sprinting specifically, actually running as well, but sprinting specifically are tools that we have to learn. They're skills. So the skill of sprinting and the skill of marching have to be taught. And the skill of sprinting requires staying on the balls of your feet, pushing off, keeping your, your knees in alignment, almost crossing over your steps as you're running. And it, I'm doing a very poor job of explaining this because you almost need to see it. But it's like run, runway model walking. You, you cross your feet to put them one in front of the other so that you're not wasting space by striding next to each other. Um, it takes training. It takes practice. Similarly, the kid may know how to cry. He, can, he may know how to scream. He may know how to get mad. But is he labeling it accurately? And the only way he's going to know that is if you label it for him, which means you have to know your stuff accurately as well. And, and we really caution against substituting emotions for other sorts of things and vice versa. So, you know, you're not, you're not tired, you're hungry. Here, eat. You know, sometimes that may be true. But the last thing we want is for a kid who's sad to have to go nap because he's sad. We want to label sadness, help him tolerate it, and not think that, you know, when he gets to be 18 or 20 years old, he's like, ah, oh, what is this physiological feeling in my body? I think I need a nap. <laughs> it's like, no, what you need is a good cry because <laughs> you just failed your test. Um, so we don't want to be confusing our children by labeling things inaccurately. Um, so that's, that does require a little bit of homework on your own part and knowing your own emotions. And uh, you can do that yourself too through a bunch of you know, YouTube videos and, and websites and personal practice and so forth. But uh, mm -hmm. that, that skill building is really important. It does not come naturally. You're absolutely correct. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to take it out with some very practical skills. It's like, you know, we can assume that the kid knows how to run. Yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah, I don't think my kid needs this. Yeah, but he's no, does he know how to sprint? You know, so yeah. Yeah. That, and that takes extra, extra training. Mm-hmm. And another um, tip for parents um, or anybody who works with kids, teachers, is to never take emotions away from kids. So I teach emotions all the time. Invalidation, you mean? Invalidation, yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I couldn't think of a correct That's word. That's okay. Um, and we don't take emotions away from kids. So as adults in any situation, we have a tendency to want to... Um, take away emotions because we think it'll make kids feel better. You don't have a reason to be crying. Um, why are out. you yep. mad? Um, just be happy. We don't take those away. So I teach that we all have, we all have emotions. Um, and we all have big emotions, sometimes emotions that are too big for our bodies, especially in the case of little ones. And I tell them that it's okay to have big emotions because that means that big things are happening in our lives. And that's not for us to decide with kids what's big for them and what's little. Because even though something might not seem like a big deal to us, it is to them. And then when we try to take that emotion away, we aren't giving them the skill of learning how to um, name that emotion, you know, recognize it, recognize what's happening in their bodies and in their minds, regulate it, and then use that for future reference with social awareness, empathy, relationships, decision-making so always validate their emotions. Meet them where they're at. Um, st state the emotion that you think they're feeling. I notice you look sad. Are you crying because you're scared? Mm -hmm. um, you look a little bit nervous. Are you anxious or are you worried? Um, meet them where they're at because then if they can name that emotion, then you can help them tame it. You can help them get through that emotion without ever taking it away from them. 
for people listening saying, yeah, my kid uh, screams and screams and screams and it doesn't matter how much I validate, he just keeps screaming. That's part of the process and it is unpleasant, absolutely uncomfortable to watch and totally necessary. If we, we can intervene at certain times to say, hey, this is not appropriate to cry over this thing and you are teaching at that point. It's not mm-hmm. appropriate to cry over spilled milk is a great one because it's just milk and it just spilled. Mm-hmm. No big deal. You can mop it up. Um, And what you're teaching is that there's a tolerance level there for certain things. What we don't want to do is flood them with adult interpretations Mm -hmm. of childhood things. Mm -hmm. We want to just let them feel it. And I teach that emotions last between three and nine seconds because then the event that that triggered them is gone and the, the chemicals should have passed through your body and your brain. And so let them have that few seconds. If it goes on for minutes and then minutes turn into dozens of minutes Mm -hmm. what we want to do is we just sit with a minute even if it's in the middle of the night uh we just have to sit with a minute because otherwise if we invalidate them we risk invalidating them again and then we get into a power struggle and then um, you're never going to be able to reach in and turn somebody's brain off so the best way is just sit there and let them know that it's okay Mm -hmm. and eventually those bursts will shorten and eventually they will where they will just become more appropriate. So the, the midnight screaming turns into midnight whimpering, turns into midnight, I'm awake, what's going on? Oh, I'll just put myself back to bed rather than, you know, screaming. And similarly with the spilled milk or the, the dropped uh, whatever, you know, the broken toy, mm-hmm. um, let them feel it. Let them cry. And, to, and and I encourage, give them permission. Say, you you, you cry as much as you need, buddy. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going away and I'm not going to take it away. Um, and then, you know, if 20 minutes rolls and it's still crying, just go back and remind them, mm-hmm. keep crying if you need to, by the way, um, your, your toys in the trash and we could move <laughs> on. And then you're demonstrating to them that you have moved on also. So, um, yeah, there, there is a, there's a flex there and don't worry about that. And, you know, if, if it gets really bad, ask a professional, yeah. but, um, I, yeah, that's, that's great feedback. Don't, don't take stuff away no. from them because it's real for them. And I love that sentence. I'm not going anywhere and I'm not going to take this away. Yeah. Um, and that is part of meeting them where they're at because, and we can also ask them questions too. I feel like we, um, as adults, we feel like we already have the answers to maybe why kids are feeling what they're feeling or why they're showing certain behavior. So if there is spilled milk, are you crying because you're worried mm. that you're going to get mm-hmm. in trouble? Are you crying because it scared you? Are you crying? Because you lost it? Yes. Yeah. Um, and that gives them power too. So part of social and emotional learning is empowering kids. Because when we empower kids and we teach them these skills and we build them up, then they become advocates. And then eventually they're, when they're crying, they're saying, I'm worried. I need, I need a break. Yeah. Give me, yeah. Yes. Here's what you can help me. And that's a huge part of emotional Get vocabulary. Get out of my room and leave me alone. I just want to be upset right now. Yes. Even though it might not always come out super respectful. Right. Um, but that's a huge part of emotional vocabularies is when kids, um, and not to ever take away from academic vocabularies. I am a teacher and I know the importance of academic vocabularies but when we give kids emotional vocabularies they become happier they become healthier but mostly they become safer because they use those vocabularies and those strategies to advocate for themselves and for others i need a break um they can tell you the difference between like when they're scared um i'm feeling trapped or i'm feeling anxious because those are two huge Emotions that require different things. One requires self-regulation and one requires requires probably like adult intervention. Um, And so we empower them with the tools and the words to advocate for themselves. And that is huge. Something else I want to add, because we're approaching an hour here and uh, thank you for (laughs) that. Um, But we also have lives to live. Um, I wanted to mention that when kids blow up on us when anybody blows up on us uh, spouses loved ones uh, good friends it's not about you Um, and yet it's exactly about you because they trust you enough to believe that you're safe enough to unload on and it's kind of an honor and I did not realize that until some point in my career when it was pointed out to me and I um, immediately started crying because I realized the, the value of my presence with this this one uh, kid, um, that I was that to him. I was safe enough for him to unload his stuff upon so that he could find some release. And we don't want to disrespect that. We don't want to dishonor that. 
Um, when your kids are screaming and yelling and calling you names and telling you that you're the worst parent in the world or the worst teacher on the planet and they just wish you'd just go away and they're dropping F-bombs, sit there and take it. And I recommend telling them that they can keep doing it and that you can take it because you can, after all. I mean, what's the alternative? Mm-hmm. I can't take this anymore. Well, then what? Like, <laughs> you burst into flames? Or, I don't understand. So, yes, you can take it. You can tolerate it. And if you give somebody permission to do that, it it validates, it empathizes, and it de-escalates. Mm-hmm. And then when they're de-escalated and they're validated and they're uh, empath- empathized, uh, if that is a, a word that I can make up. It is um, <laughs> you've You have verbed them. Um <laughs> Then you can tell them that you don't appreciate the language. They don't need to use that kind of tone. Um, And then we can explore solutions on how they can cope in the future with whatever it is that created that situation. But while they're doing it is not the time to tell them that it's not appropriate to drop F-bombs. It's not the time to say, you're disrespecting me with your attitude and your tone and your high volume. You want to tell them that they can do that. They can unload on you because you're safe. Mm -hmm. And, And it validates that. And then because they know that, They'll let you have that follow-up conversation with them. Mm -hmm. So don't run from that. Try not to get in the power struggle, especially uh, teenagers who are struggling with whatever they're struggling with, and they they blow up. Uh, Be thankful that they're blowing up on you and own it and really receive that and then uh, let it go uh, because there are so many other horrible alternatives to blowing up on you. I would welcome that, and I welcome it every time. So I, I invite everybody else to do that too. While they're while they're emoting, just let them emote. It it's, means that they trust you. It's such a vulnerable thing. Yeah, there has to be some basic level of trust in order to act that way around somebody. Um, and that leads into like one of my favorite sentences that I tell teachers and parents: "All behavior is communication." That's true. All behavior is kids and adults communicating an emotion to you. And when you think about that, it makes it a lot easier easier for us to respond rather than to react mm-hmm. to their emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just going to like get us like back on track a little bit. Yeah, we got to wrap up. <laughs> and um, so I really just focused on practices in the classrooms and in the schools. Um, and we set a tone. We set a culture that we wanted to embrace where... We are here to support students, and we are here to help them. Um, and a lot of that starts with skill building, and we have to meet kids where they're at. And eventually, um, I started using a program called Second Step that is really awesome. It teaches social and emotional learning skills in schools. Um, the teachers teach it, so they are getting it in a classroom, but it also sets school-wide expectations. There's a principal toolkit. Um, so no matter where they're at, kids are getting the same verbiage. They are getting the same expectations. Um, when I come in, I know what lessons they're using so I can say, hey, you know, that doesn't really fall in line with what we learned about last week. And that is a skill. So we're going to practice it right now. We're going to practice our self-talk or we're going to practice our self-regulation breathing or we're going to practice accepting differences and tolerating people even if they're not our friends. It's a whole um, culture. You've created a whole culture. Yes. And so that has been really awesome. It's been a really good addition into our school. Um, and it gives parents access to learn um, and kind of follow along with what their kids are learning. It has a protection aspect in it. So we are also teaching kids about um, ways to stay safe and um, how to respond and report like sexual and physical abuse and say no. And all of these things are skills. Um, they're skills mm-hmm. that kids need to learn at home. They're skills that kids need to learn at school. And they're skills that kids and adults need to practice, honestly, for the rest of their lives. But we have to give them a starting point because it's not natural. And we have to remember that, that kids aren't born with any of these skills. If somebody's listening and they're uh, younger and they want to do what you do, how do they do what you do? (laughs) How do they get a fluffy government-issued title like social and emotional learning coordinator? Um. So this is actually really cool because um, there's a couple different ways. Mental health is always a good route. Um, these skills do lay a good foundation for people like you. Yes, they do. To um, help them even farther along or mm-hmm. kids who have more struggles or adults. Um, but if you are wanting to go into education, 
I didn't get a degree in this. I started um, by degree. I am a secondary social studies teacher, so I can teach middle school or high school um, history, government, all those fun things. But when I was doing my student teaching, I was really struggling um, with making connections with the kids. And if you aren't making connections with the kids, not only are they not going to learn from you, but they are going to push back on you because you're not making them feel safe. You're not meeting them where they're at. And they know that you're not there for them. Mm -hmm. They knew I was there to finish my degree and it had nothing to do with them. Ah. So I took a moment, a lot of moments actually, um, of late night crying, as most (laughs) teachers do. And I tried, I started like kind of dabbling with these new activities and ideas that we weren't taught in college at all. We weren't taught these things and how to incorporate these things into our classrooms. But I began to build trust and I began to build relationships. And I just told kids, like, I'm here for you. I'm here to support you. I'm here um, for anything you need. I began to learn about them. And we just started to form all of these, like, really healthy relationship skills between us as a classroom and between us as individuals and then it got really beautiful um kids started to learn from me because they trusted me and not only trusted me like to help them but they trusted that the information I was telling them was worth their time and they trusted that I woke up every day with a purpose and that purpose was them and they um they just trusted me and they knew that I was going to have honest conversations with them that I wish people would have had with me when I was like a sophomore in high school. And I'm going to teach them these skills if they don't have them. And if I see them messing up, I'm not going to go straight to punishment. We're going to talk about it first. We're going to try to fix it first. And then we're going to move on from there. Um, And then I found right after I um, completed my student teaching, which ended super awesome, I was applying for lots of jobs. And uh I stumbled upon this social and emotional learning coordinator job and it wasn't really like a term that I had used with the activities that I was doing with kids but my really amazing lead teacher um, would constantly use that verbiage like you're really good at this social and emotional stuff you really like this social and emotional stuff because he had heard it Um, and so I saw this job that talked about social and emotional learning some family members in Lovelock told me about it and I applied for it and when I um, interviewed for it that's when I was like this is my passion I'm uh-huh. so passionate about teaching and I'm very passionate about teaching history but I care so much about these skills that kids have or don't have and need to learn for the rest of their life so there's not really like one way to get into this field but if you're passionate about it and you constantly tell people you're passionate about it and you act on it everywhere you go you make sure kids are getting these skills um, you might not fall into a job that has a fluffy title like social emotional <laughs> coordinator, but you'll fall into a job where you are given um, basically the access to teach kids this. And whether that's just a classroom teacher or admin, not just a classroom teacher, but a classroom teacher, or admin or counselor or um, working with a youth center, JPO, mental health, you know, um, you have the power to teach kids these skills and so if anybody ever has any questions I hope they will reach out to Jake or reach out to me um, because it is an important field and it's something that's not going away even though it's kind of like a buzzword right now social emotional learning in education um, it's not going away it never wasn't here in the first place kids have always needed these skills and now we just have to find a place for it in homes and in school. We're doing it with intentionality. They used to do it for themselves on the playgrounds, and now we're just doing it with intentionality. And so it's becoming Perfect. more robust and thorough. Yes. And that's what I tell my teachers all the time is we've all been doing this. You know, like we're all here because we care about kids and we give them these skills. And um, lots of teachers have practiced these things without exactly knowing what they were teaching and now we're just teaching it with intention to make healthier healthier kids and honestly safer schools and safer homes um i appreciate you thank you for coming and um, doing this and it means a lot i i always learn a lot by people who come and uh, 
just thanks. I, I could tell that you were passionate about it when you started talking about how passionate you were and your eyes just lit up and that was really neat. So if you want, like, like Jordan said, you don't necessarily have to be school coordinator of in order to do this. You can weave it into your office setting at work. You can do it. Uh, if you're a sales rep, you can start, you know, implementing it with your home. You can do it with your clients. Uh, you don't just have to be in the educational or health profession settings to do it. Um, it's something that we speak universally one to the next. It's important for communication. Like Carol Izzard found, you know, 94% accuracy. People can identify what someone is feeling by what they wear on their face. And um, if you don't know what those are, you're not going to communicate very well. And uh, so, yeah, we, we encourage you to, to pursue this stuff if you're interested in it. How can they reach you? Um, they the can reach me <laughs> for the next seven months at my email, which is um, J-W-I-N-T-E-R. M O T E at purging k twelve dot dot us, um, and if you ever have any trouble with that, just reach out mm-hmm. to Jake, and he can always connect you with me, um, yeah. whether that's via work email or cell phone if yeah. my job is done. Because this passion um, will be here long after this job ends. Yeah, and as always, uh, info at nogginotes dot com and info mm-hmm. at zephyrwellness dot org if you want to reach out and give us feedback. Um, as always, we invite you to give us a rating and review wherever you give ratings and reviews. Um, we're now on Patreon and we're on um, Radio Republic, and um, we're of course on the iTunes and Android platforms, um, and downloaded through um, you know any podcast app. So. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week with a different topic altogether because that's what we try to do. Um, Thanks, Jordan. Thank you. Have a great weekend. You too. And to everybody else out in listener land, we wish you great mental wellness. Bye-bye.